How you doing today, Ryan? I'm good, Nick. How about you? Not doing too bad. Um, we just had a great conversation. I feel like we could have probably talked for two and a half hours. Don't worry <laughs> if you're listening. This episode is not two and a half hours. <laughs> Are you as excited about the options of getting back into the workplace as I am? <laughs> Who is it? Yes, he has a joke on, <laughs> on my own words. That says it all. <laughs> no, we've uh, we spent uh, a lot of this conversation really discussing sort of the dynamics of uh, what business leaders are dealing with as they're trying to re-envision what the workplace looks like, how they're bringing people back into the workforce, whether or not that's going to be a, the same type of model that they operated under previously or how they might be innovating and evolving around their uh, talent resourcing and how they're procuring new talent. So we, we covered a lot of territory and uh, I felt like it was a, a pretty robust uh, episode dealing with uh, just about every direction we could take with that topic. Yeah, I think you covered it all. And um for now, listening, if you don't happen to make it all the way through the end of the episode, we're, we're going to change up the format a little bit. We're going to go uh, to a season approach to give us a little bit more time for production and promotion um, and to, yeah, to try and create some more content um, on a higher quality scale for you with having a little bit more production time built in. So if you want to hang that out, I'm going to you know, take that whole clip, separate it, put it in the feed separately. Uh, so just look out on on your feed. You'll probably see a, a post about that soon if you don't happen to make it through the end. And be sure to keep tuning in to Lead.exe. We've got a lot of great content you may not have heard before that's worth uh, going back as, uh, as we do surface some of those clips. And Believe me, we've got a lot of great guests already queued up for what we're going to call season three as we get to roll that out at the beginning of August 2021. Yeah, you got that. With that, let's just uh, let everybody get on the show. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Lead.exe. I'm Brian Comerford in Denver, Colorado. And I'm Nick Lozano in Washington, D.C. And uh, today we're talking about, um, what are we talking about, Nick? <laughs> so people aren't aware, I don't know when somebody's listening to this, but you know, it's March of 2021 and uh, at least here in the States, um, things are starting to kind of open back up. People are getting vaccinated and it leaves leadership with the question of how do we get back to work? And... And some of my discussions with, uh, you know, some some IT leaders across separate industries, there's this fear of when you're asking people who've been working remotely for a year to come back to the office, that they have to be back in the office five days a week. There's this worry that it's going to drive talent away. Um, we've seen companies like Atalassian say, you know what, you only need to come in the office four times a year. We don't care where you live. We don't care where you work from. Just those four times a year, we expect to see you. And it's opening up the talent pool. And you and I had discussed, too, that a company like Basecamp has decided they pay the Chicago rate for a developer or for somebody who works for Basecamp. It doesn't matter where in the world they're based. Um, so we're starting to even see pay not be pegged to where somebody lives, just being pegged to where the HQ is. And 
you gave a great example of that too when you're talking about an organization in Denver uh, who hires, you know, across the United States, but they pay the Denver rate. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Yeah, it was uh, a little surprising to me to hear because other than examples like Basecamp, that was one of the first times that it had really surfaced to my awareness that it was happening. But I was talking mm-hmm. with a, a consulting firm that was trying to do some talent recruitment. And, uh, you know, through that process of discussion, I discovered that they were uh, really, you know, looking in a lot of other markets uh, where the cost of living was considerably lower, and yet they were still willing to pay the Denver rate and uh, use that as a form of enticement for their recruiting efforts, right? Because it ends up being, uh, you know, pretty appealing if you're in a marketplace that is maybe more rural or, uh, you know, is uh, is just in an area of the country where, uh, maybe housing is less expensive than in, in places like Denver or D.C., and mm-hmm. yet you're getting paid at a rate as if you're having to meet those cost of living expenses in that area. So I found that really interesting that uh, as really an enticement or a perk uh, as part of their recruiting outreach, that that was something that, um, you know, that they were kind of leading with, fully expecting that they were going to be onboarding folks that were in different geographies than uh, than their Denver office is located. Yeah, I think it's a great perk too, right? And you and I have talked about this before, and I think Basecamp has been doing this since long pre these, these pandemic days, because I, I think I remember reading it in the remote book or something like that, right? And that, that book's about five or six years old at this point in time. Sure. Um, but I think it's a great perk, right? And it makes it easy for companies, HR departments to look and not try to figure out what the salary should be where somebody else is. And and I imagine from a recruiting perspective, even as the recruiter, it's got to be difficult, right? Because what are, what are they going to get? Like a budget range. Um, And then it's basically like a bid process. It just seems really weird, right? It's like, go find me the best developer in the cheapest area that you can. So that the, the cost is the lowest, right? Uh, when that's not necessarily the way you look for talent and, you know, government contracts can be a great example of that. You know, they don't necessarily get the best quality, but they buy the cheapest quality because that's what, you know, some regulations are that they have to get the cheapest contract. So I think it's, I think it's a great ad and something like that, being able to work remotely, um, is better than, you know, the naps and the, the chefs locate at a location, the unlimited vacation, uh, to me, that those are two bigger things that I see more organizations can be willing to open up with. And even smaller organizations, like let's say one's in Cleveland, Ohio, and they want to open it up that way and pay Cleveland rate. Well, that's great. Maybe somebody who's – Cleveland's a fairly large you know, Midwestern city. Maybe somebody who lives in a smaller city like – Toledo or something like that might be willing to remote or, you know, someplace random in Wyoming, right? right. The population's not that great and, and the salary is really good for where they live. So I think it's a, it's a win-win for both and it opens your talent pool to more than just who's available locally or paying to bring talent to you. Because we all know that hiring talent and then paying, you know, their moving costs and all that for them gets super, super 
expensive from an acquisition perspective. And I know stuff like that's normally reserved for like executives and higher ups, but mm-hmm. it's still it's still an expensive cost, no matter how much the talent costs. Yeah, well, I think we've seen a couple of new factors, right? I mean, on, on the one hand, this is what I've heard referred to for a number of years as the inshoring model, right? Versus outshoring or offshoring. Uh, we've, you know, we've, uh, we've done a lot of the, um, you know, looking for cheap talent in other countries where there are developers and paying them half the rate of what we would pay, uh, an American developer, uh, still gets us roughly the same quality at half the cost. Mm-hmm. And it's an improved wage for someone who's offshoring, right? Um, so more of this onshoring model, uh, you know, allows for us to continue to help create those jobs uh, here, you know, within our own borders. Um, so there's certainly an economic uh, benefit there. But the second factor, I think, is that we've seen all of this urban flight as a result of the pandemic over the last year, where people who have been traditionally shackled to living in a specific type of urban area suddenly find themselves in a position where they can relocate where maybe they they had uh, one home that was in an urban area and they had another home that was a vacation home in the mountains or something. And now the vacation home in the mountains can become their primary residence and they sell the place down in the city, you know, and why not go live in the, you know, the more pristine location. So it's, it's created, uh, I think, a bit of a conflict for a number of organizations who are now announcing that they're about ready to reopen their offices and they've got a workforce that's been displaced uh, by the pandemic and, and at times willingly so, who are not excited about the idea of returning to an office. And in some cases, in fact, say, oh, okay, go ahead and mandate that I have to come back into the office. I'll be looking for another job, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's, that's that, that, and you know, that's just from a leadership perspective. Um, and you and I were talking about this a little bit offline is, is you know, this whole uh, requiring vaccines and mandating, um, you know, people have them to come back in the office and that you need to come back to the office and uh, I, I know it's a gray area in a lot of employment law, and I'm going to preface this that I'm not a lawyer. Um, but, you know, like reading the headlines, it seems like this is something that employers can uh, make required that their staff to have. And just as a leader, I think, you know, fear is relative to each person, right? Um, you know, I, I got the vaccine, but, I you know, I don't know what your feelings are on it. Um, maybe you're the same. Maybe it's not. But. To, to force you to do something just because we can do something doesn't mean we should do something, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. And, you know, you might have outstanding talent um, that will look for another job if, if you don't go other ways. Uh, you know, it, it's a real fear that instead of just there, not only is your, as a leader, talent pool, open to the country, their job opportunities have opened across the country. Absolutely. Um, probably even bump up their pay scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not in one of the hotbed cities like, you know, like New York, San Francisco, um, DC area, Miami, where it's like super expensive, where wages are paid really high, um, you know, what? what's stopping you from looking somewhere else? <laughs> like you said, it's, it's going to drive people, I think, to really 
move move around and move positions. I think if he if it goes along that path where everyone starts getting mandated. Yeah, and I, you know, I hear a lot about some of the troubles that certain industries are having right now, getting workers, you know, typically hourly wage based workers to come back and reapply to positions that are open. They're struggling with trying to uh, get people back in. I know there's been an argument that because of the uh, unemployment stimulus that it's created ultimately higher earnings for mm-hmm. certain people by being unemployed than by actually going back to seek uh, being reinstated at their prior job or you know in a prior type of role in an, a, a specific industry. So it's also, I think, created a need for us to uh, examine, again, from a leadership position, right? If you're not able to fulfill some of those jobs, um, then it's possible that they were already, you know, undesirable from a wage-based perspective to begin with. And if there isn't something else put into place, either to uh, elevate the uh, the wages that are being offered or to, you know, create um, other incentives for those particular roles, that it will continue to be hard to now find a workforce who's willing to to take those types of wages. Yeah, I, th- I think you're completely right. It's going to be a recalibration, right? Um, and th- we've seen that in the hourly thing. I read an article the other day that, uh, you know, restaurants are having a hard time finding talent to come back. Um, and I think that's a symptom of, you know, that those were lower earning workers, right? And a lot of times when you work in restaurants, you don't get paid leave. You don't get sick pay. So what happened? They got an opportunity to look for other jobs <laughs> so like, um, that gave them sick time, gave them pay. Uh, so I think, he, you know, we're going to see a shift in talent. And some people, I feel like, just are going to early retire, right? We got the baby boomers. A lot of them are in retirement age, and they just work from home for a year. Uh, you know, getting some of those people to go back in the office, they might not do that. You know, just say, you know what, I'm going to call this a career and going to sell my house in the city because I'm going to move somewhere further out anyways. So uh, it's it's going to be a talent crunch, I feel like. And offering those benefits like that are going to be a big win for you as an organization. I don't know. We could we could look at this two years from now. We could be completely wrong. But I, f- I feel like if, if you don't allow some type of remote work um, and pay based on where your HQ is located, you're going to have a very difficult time retaining or or acquiring talent Mm -hmm. well you know it's interesting because i I have uh, a number of uh, friends and former colleagues who are all now working for european-based companies because there was no need for them to uh, continue to remain working for american companies when there there was not the work available here and uh, sort of sort of the same is true right um and in some of those countries that are even paying relocation benefits uh, for people to to uproot their stakes here uh, and move into other countries. And globally, when you look at uh, the makeup of other developed nations, I mean, you're talking about uh, a lot of uh, countries where cost of living uh, is at a higher standard and base pay is at a higher standard. And there are other services that are uh, actually um, included 
in in taxes. So I know this is opening the whole can of worms on a a lot of uh, political you know domain where uh, we hear uh, complaints about socialism or socialist countries. But um, when you really look at it, we've got socialist capitalist countries in the entire Western developed world and uh, predominantly in the most developed of the Asian uh, nations as well. Um, so, you know, I think, again, from the perspective of reinventing and determining what can you do to incentivize people, it, it can come from a number of different creative approaches. Right. As a as a business owner, you may want to explore a number of different approaches that don't necessarily uh, involve just raising the base salary, but maybe it creates more flex time in your workplace or maybe it has an offering of something like childcare, Right. Where mm -hmm. where there are benefits that you can sort of custom tailor to the individuals that are coming into your workplace rather than having everything that's driven by uh, some kind of. Uh, salary-based policy for the organization. Yeah, and I think without even, you know, getting the political political side of it, I think now is a great time for organizations to look down at what their benefit packages are, what they're offering, um, and what's out in the marketplace. Like, what, what are companies doing um, that you should notice? And it, it's even companies outside of whatever your industry is, right? Uh, notice, take a look at what Atalassian did. That's, I mean, that's an extreme example. Um, as a tech company, they're a little bit different. Uh, but still, it's like, look at it and chew on it and think about, you know, what would it take to do that? What would your organization look like if you did that? Um, and maybe it's something completely illogical for, for what you do, your industry. Uh, maybe you have engineers that work on manufacturing equipment. It's impossible to do that. But it doesn't mean that there aren't days where they can swap, stay home. You can kind of do some of the same things with them. Give them some type of benefits because I'm, I'm always of the mind that, you know, if you take care of the people uh, that work with you, they'll take care of the business. It's, it just works that way. I find is if you take care of people, they're more than willing to return the favor. If they feel like they're valued and their contributions are there and you reward them for that. I think there's a lot of data to support that. You know, if you've got uh, employee experience as one of your areas of your corporate strategy, then part of what that means is you're creating an experience where you have fantastic retention with your employees that are already in place. And when you've got that kind of culture, it, it drives uh, a pride in the work that I think you can just feel that energy when you walk into a company that's of that type. Mm -hmm. And consequently, what that means is now you've got people who are happier and more satisfied. That's gonna translate into how they interact with your client base, right? and potentially uh, can help drive greater client satisfaction as well, uh, along with uh, greater retention for, you know, whatever your client base is for the industry that you're in. <clears throat> yeah, it's, but like you said, it's taking care of your people, right? If you're in leadership, your number one customer or is your employees, really. That's the way I feel about it. It doesn't matter what you sell, it doesn't matter anything else you know everyone who's tactical will take care of that stuff if you do your job and take care of the people uh, mm -hmm. things will happen and things will get done i think as long as you make that 
when you're a leader, just in my opinion, if you make that your number one priority, things just have a way of falling into place. Um, it's just, just the way I've always felt about it is that, you know, you're in the people business, like Peter says, whether you know it or not, you, that's, that's what business you're in. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And it's remarkable to me, the number of organizations that I've spoken with, um, as I'm, you know, sitting in an advisory role myself, where I ask the question about where does the employee experience factor into your strategy? And it, you know, it's kind of 50, 50. There are a lot of uh, companies that I've interacted with who've never put any thought into that whatsoever. It's just not part of what they think of strategically that's important to their organization versus a number of other types of organizations where that's really, that's the number one pillar in whatever their corporate strategy is, right? Take care of your people and all of these other things, you know, will follow in succession, but you've got to have the people to operate the business to begin with. And you, you want to ensure that they're satisfied that you don't have well-trained talent that is walking out the door because you're not taking care of people, right? Or because there's a culture that, uh, you know, fosters mistrust or, uh, you know, lack of collaborative spirit, all of those things. And I think there's another, you know, factor that's, that's interesting for us to consider too. You know, we're starting to see uh, percentages creep up on rates of inflation but here we've seen a record, a historical record run of cheap debt. And consequently, part of what that's meant is individuals have done a lot of things to take advantage of things like homeownership, right? Where they may not have had those opportunities previously. And they're taking advantages of cheap mortgages so that they can buy themselves either a first home or maybe an income property. They're refinancing homes that they may already live in so that they can cut their expense line items and in some cases even consolidate a 30-year fixed mortgage into a 15, right? So all of a sudden, because of all this cheap debt, it has enabled people to also uh, enlarge sort of the bottom line of what they're, they're bringing home and, and able to put into the bank. So I heard you earlier say some people are looking at taking early retirement, you know, mm -hmm. as a result of that. And I think that that, that is, uh, you know, absolutely true. I've seen a, a lot of moves in that direction. In fact, a, a really close colleague of mine uh, kind of surprised me by saying that that was a move that he was going to make. Um, and he's, you know, a decade away from retirement uh, yeah. in terms of retirement age so that he can start drawing Social Security. But um, that's, you know there are some opportunities that have been created as a result of, you know, the economic conditions that we've gone through. And so part of why I bring it up also is uh, I know that there are a number of industries that uh, feel that their current incumbent workforce is kind of a graying workforce. And yet they're having a hard time bringing in uh, younger talent because, you know, younger talent, tends to want to go get the hot tech jobs, right? And, yeah. But that's not the, you know, the foundation of every industry. And so I think there's going to continue to be a lot of mentorship opportunities. And from a, from a leadership perspective, I think it's, um, you know, number one, it's very rewarding to be in that mentorship role. But number two, I think 
it's another path that can be offered to existing talent to say, Hey, I understand, you know, you're kind of carving your own path now and you're, you're ready to get out of here sooner than we may have discussed, but I would love to discuss creating an opportunity for you to stick around and knowledge share, you know, with a, a, a team of up and coming, you know, folks who eventually are going to fill the same kind of role that you've been in. Yeah, I think, like you said, the, uh, you know, pandemic and a lot of people, you know, being able to work from home for about a year has really caused people to stop and think about what they're doing, right? Um, I was reading this great post by somebody on LinkedIn and they're like, I decided to start my own business because I was thinking about having to return to work and the four hours of commuting I would have to do a day to do that. And he's like, it never set in my mind until, uh, you know, I had to think about going back to the office. It just had become something he did constantly. So he never thought about it. So it kind of has hit a point where it let people kind of stop and reflect on what they're doing to think if it, what they're doing is what they really want to do or if they've just been kind of chugging along because that's what they've been doing. It's been the status quo um, for them for a while. And that, I would totally give somebody credit if I remembered who it was when I saw it. <laughs> but um, if you're out there and you're listening to this and that was you, just just let me know. But uh, I don't mean to not give you credit. But it's 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 a great reminder that a lot of times as, as human beings, we don't stop to think about the things we're doing sometimes and whether if it still makes sense what we're doing. And that's like you said, your, your colleague who's going to retire early, you know, maybe – they just had the time to sit there and think, you know what, this, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, I'd like to retire while I'm still young. Don't need the, you know, six figure a year salary anymore. I can make it work on less than that <clears throat> and move out further. Um, so it's been a real point of reflection for people, I think. I think so, too. I, I've known a number of people who have actually started businesses during all of this, which is, you know, really inspiring. Uh, and talk about a leadership move, Right. I mean, uh, you know, going from uh, I, I know one person who was in a, a very subordinate role, but what she figured out was uh, a way that she could uh, actually optimize uh, making sales through creating an Amazon store during the pandemic when so many people were suddenly shifting into, you know, more of a purchase online and have it delivered to my home kind of model. Uh, and has been able to break away and, you know, is now taking a lot of steps to continue to extend the schooling that she never completed so that she can elevate herself into a, a place where she feels really confident as a business business owner, even though she should already have that confidence. She made the move and she's, you know, she's profitable and it's the only thing she needs to do right now. <laughs> I love that. And I, I love hearing stories like that. Because I always feel like people are hesitant to start businesses because they're like, well, why would somebody listen to me? Well, why not? <laughs> right? Like, like, it doesn't matter that you, you didn't go to Harvard and get an MBA from MIT. Like, at the end of the day, I, I don't ever remember asking consultants or vendors, hey, where'd you go to school? Like, how many years of work experience do you have? Like, no, you're asking for results, right? You're like, can you mm -hmm. produce this result? prove to me that you can produce this result, right? We don't ever, a lot of times, look at these credentials. Um, I feel like a lot of times people get in that perspective. They think of it as like 
this person's hiring me to do this, but like, no, they're hiring you as an organization to complete some task. Uh, like I said, they pay for results and hearing stories like that. I think it's just, people have taken the time since they've been home to say, okay, well, you know, I can produce this result. Um, and they've had the time because like that one person was given earlier, you know, that four hours of commute's gone. So now he's got four hours a day to work on a side hustle right. and you still have time to pick up the kids and do everything else that you did before. <laughs> if you happen to have a family, um, it's, it's been, like I said, a real reflection point, I think for people. And we're going to see that probably disrupt a little bit of the talent market. Probably some people doing career changes and stuff like that. I talked to somebody the other day, um, and, uh, you know, she's like, Hey, I want to make a jump into, to it. Um, but I'm not 22 years old. <laughs> you don't have to be 22 years old to work in technology. I was like, you know, technology needs more diversity. We need more women in, in technology. We need, you know, people of all ages and genders and everything. It's too, you know, white male dominated, like, <clears throat> like a lot of things are. And, uh, I was like, you know, you can bring value. Don't feel like, <laughs> like, you know, don't let an age or a gender or something hold you back. There's there's opportunities there. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, I've, I've valued having very diverse teams. I've been lucky that as uh, as someone who has led uh, many of those teams, I, I've had uh, the benefit of being able to be the recruiter as well. It's always been uh, something that I've, I've really... Um, put forward as a value in my own uh, exploration for talent is not just looking for, um, you know, who's, who's got the best credentials, but who's got uh, sort of the best mindset, who's got um, really some of the soft skills to go along with what the role is going to require, who's going to harmonize with the team, who's going to bring some of that diversity of thought, you know, all of these factors that, um, they're, they're different than just checking the box on filling a role. It's like, yep, you had, uh, you, you've got your degree in, uh, you know, cybersecurity and I need to fill a cybersecurity role. And, and that's, that's enough. You know, it's, it's about a lot more factors than that. So, and you know, like part you of said, the, the soft skills are the things that are hard to teach. We can teach anybody about cybersecurity and running you know, Kali Linux and, and pen testing machines, but doing the soft skills, that's, that's the stuff that's hard to teach. And when somebody, when you run it, when you interview somebody who has all those soft skills, sometimes it could, for me, at least it can outweigh the technical skills. Cause we can always bring somebody up to speed. Yeah, there's no question about it. And again, you know, I think part of part of the point that I was driving to is um, now with sort of this unlimited reach in terms of who you're willing to bring into your workforce from a talent pool. Uh, it's not going to be true for every type of business. You know, if you've got to have hands on with certain types of work, then sure. uh, obviously this won't apply. But for many of these uh, types of roles, you know, how many businesses have been vacant? You know, how many buildings have been vacant uh, in downtown DC since this started? A ton. Yeah, same is true in Denver. And I don't know that that's ever going to change. And so consequently, I think there's also going to be some fallout that we see with some of these commercial real estate spaces, right? Because the the need for all of these office buildings, it's going to go away. There's going to be, you know, there there may be a lot more of these WeWork and Regis, you know, types of 
setups where people can come in and, and have more of a hoteling setup, you know, for their uh, temporary workspace. But I think the demand for having big behemoth corporate offices is going to go away. And part of that will come from the fact that uh, I think a lot of leaders at corporations are going to realize, hey, we just went through the world's largest test case and whether or not remote work can be productive. We've mm-hmm. discovered that it can be. And actually, there are a lot of costs that we can cut over here <laughs> with all of these expense line items that we have by maintaining this massive footprint, you know, for a workspace. Yeah, exactly. And I think even for the companies where, like, let's say you're a small regional MSP and in a small city in rural Illinois, that could be a boom for you, too, because you might get somebody who's like, hey, I'm leaving Chicago. And you might be able to get physical talent in your door that you didn't have access to before because they're they don't want to commute in anymore. They don't want the high mortgage and they decide they're going to move out further. Um, So it's kind of like that quote where it's like the future's already here. It's just not evenly dispersed. (laughs) And I can't remember that was in one of the uh, the uh, it was either in like rework or or remote. Uh, and geez, I'll have to look up who the quote was from, but I was like, that's exactly perfect because I have seen consulting. Like I was at a big consulting firm before that had a monolithic, humongous, uh, HQ for all their staff and they shut it down. Cause they're like, it's, it's nobody's here most of the time. And they moved it closer to the city. Cause they're like, that's where our clients are. Um, so I think we were already starting to see that happen. And this just kind of you know, was a shot in the arm and accelerated it. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, you know, I like that you you brought up the book Remote. Uh, I heard you mention it earlier uh, in the episode, but, um, you know, that's that's one of those um, areas where, you know, there's, there, I don't think there's a lot of media that's been written about it. And, you know, much of what we've seen sort of in the blogosphere, you know, has often been very critical uh, about remote work. I know we've talked previously about, uh, you know, posts that talk about working remote is really just about wasting time and, you know, having more more time to invest in social media. Um, but again, we've, we've just gone through the world's largest uh, experiment in what remote work can look like and whether or not we can measure its productivity. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say that we've had a pretty successful test. <laughs> I would think so, too. And um, just because I looked at that quote real quick, it was William Gibson. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. The future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Um, But but like you said, I think it's surprising that you said that because, you know, like the KPMGs, the Deloitte's, the Accenture's, um, the IBM's, you know, who normally do the gigantic white papers have all dealt with remote workforces. And to think when I stopped and I think about it, I was like, I don't think I've read one single <laughs> report from them about remote work. And that's how they all operate. <laughs> it's like, that's interesting. I, I'm like, they're perfect for writing the, the use cases for those. Cause they've been doing it for 20, 30 years. Um, yeah. Cause that's what you do. You hire KPMG to come do some huge SAP implementation somewhere. And you know, you'd, People never see the consultants. Some of them are a mix on site. Some of them, you know, work from their homes full time. Uh, so I think it would be interesting to see a use case from from somebody big like them to show that it works 
even on a humongous global level. Um, so it's just interesting you said that, and that had just popped into my mind. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, the uh, uh, again, I think part of um, what happens when you're sort of in that consulting space is you often get so caught up in advising others about how they should be doing things, you forget that you need to be eating your own dog food, right? <laughs> and I, I think that's kind of the wake up call that a lot of companies are going through right now. Uh, and, you know, for those that are forward thinking, uh, you know, they're putting some of those incentives in place to be able to say, hey, w we feel like we've got enough data on what this looks like. And actually, we're pretty confident we can get talent that's as good, if not better, but we have to be competitive. And so here's what we're willing to do to, to ensure that. Yeah, I think that's, that's perfect. And I think at some point they probably will do a white paper, especially since what has all just happened. And um, I know from, a pers from their perspective for just making sales, there's probably lots of questions about how do you manage cybersecurity uh, with that? How do you, manage IT staff, you know, problems remotely. Um, how are you doing help desk? And they've been doing it forever. And for them, a white paper is a perfect way to sell their product. So I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure it's coming. I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure it's coming. I'm, I'm sure we'll see some, some Gartner reports to that effect as well. You know, and also how do you serve your clients? I mean, that's another yeah, component to it, it forever. Yeah. And what's the demand look like? I mean, there, you know, we talked about the example of how much uh, shopping from home has uh, continued to evolve as a preferred method during the pandemic. Well, that preference isn't going away. You know, you, mm -hmm. you can't, you can't put the genie back into the bottle, <laughs> you know, with that one. And so how many other dimensions look very similar to that? There are a lot of uh, industries and organizations that we have to interact with on a routine basis where, I mean, no one's excited about the idea that you actually have to physically go to a location to interact with a human being to accomplish some kind of transactional task. And uh, so, you know, we've seen a lot of these things emerge over time where there was a lot of hesitancy uh, in the beginning and a lot of naysayers who said this won't work for our type of business. And of course, now we're seeing it from, you know, purchasing real estate where a client never sets foot into a home to, uh, you know, purchasing a vehicle that you've never even had the opportunity to test drive. <laughs> right? Exactly. And like, I, so when I think of this, I just think back to that um, company you had showed me a long time ago where they could, you know, figure out a property how to ensure it just by flying a drone around it um, <laughs> right. and taking an image and using AI to figure it out. And I'm like, man, that they're probably just booming right now because the, everyone's thinking of how people don't want, you know, people they don't know in their homes or around their homes. Yeah. And all you gotta do is get some guy with a drone to step way back, stand in the road and buzz mm -hmm. around your house and he's gone in 15 minutes, you know? Um, they got all the 4K footage they need to zoom <laughs> in and see everything. Um, so I think you're you're totally on point. And I also feel like there's some niches that will, or niche, or niche, I can never remember <laughs> which way they say that, but. Um, I go with niche. Niche, <laughs> yeah, niche. I, I'm just like, eh. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I 
think there's still some things where people are going to want in person, like interaction, right? Like oh, yeah. the, the record store, right? Get a record store here, like create music, talk to the person who knows everything. Cause you want to, you, you, that human interaction too is, is um, a good thing. Uh, just think of like those little weird things where it's kind of hard to buy uh, at a store, like maybe a bicycle where you got to sit on it and you want to ride it and see what it feels like. Uh, <laughs> right. And unless you're some type of huge cyclist and you already know what you like, but I feel like the ma majority of the public would like to ride a bike. So I think it's just going to be a paradigm shift, like you said, right? Sure. Yeah, but there's still be this expectation of somehow I can do transactional business without without seeing you. So I think it's time for organizations to adapt, right? And what you said about the remote working, not working. Uh, I remember a decade ago when I worked at a huge consulting company, the only way we had meetings was was over <laughs> Skype. Literally, right. literally no other way they would schedule a meeting. They're like, if one person is on Skype, everybody is on Skype. Uh, so if one person's remote, everybody has to be on Skype. And mm -hmm. literally almost always had somebody remote. So everybody would be on Skype. And it wasn't a huge deal. I don't know, like work got done. So yeah. that was a decade ago. Right. Yeah. Well, there's plenty of room to innovate. And I think for leaders who are uh, really on the fence about what they should do with their uh, talent pool, whether they should invoke demands about bringing people physically back into the office, or they should start thinking about really uh, instantiating some flexible options. Uh, now's the time for innovative thinking, and uh, uh, particularly when it comes to what the entire business model can look like. There may be new products to emerge uh, right along with that new talent that you can procure. I think that's a great wrapping point, Brian. And while we're on the topics of innovation, <laughs> um, why don't we just say a little bit about what we're going to do with this podcast? Um, if you've been listening at any point in time, we really appreciate it. We've been posting on the 1st and the 15th of every month for dang near two and a half years. Um, but what, what we have found is that as time has gone on, we've gotten busy. Uh, it's made it very difficult to keep that pace and keep keep episodes with interesting guests going and you know pr promoting them and everything. So we have decided to go to a season-based approach, um, 10 episodes a season. Uh, we're going to launch uh, the next season. So this is going to be the last episode you're going to hear from us for a little bit. Um, I'm going to try to throw some clips in the feed uh, while, while people are waiting of little snippets of old episodes. Um, but we're going to go to a season-based 10 episodes starting in August um, to try to, you know, give us a little more time for production, uh, to source guests a little bit better, makes it a little bit easier for scheduling if we got some production time to get people in and to kind of go along more themed paths uh, every season as we want to explore different things and different topics a little more in depth. Makes it a bit easier to bring on a guest for multiple episodes because it's you know in a season so that's what we're going to do with the podcast do you have any thoughts on that brian i just talked a lot <laughs> <laughs> no i think you explained everything well there's uh you know a good rationale behind it and uh we're following you know some uh some other uh i think sort of leading edge podcast uh approaches to you know how it can be uh, accomplished and and still have some of our own work-life balance uh, and also be better curators of some of the content that we're showcasing. Um, 
So, you know, where does that put us today, Nick? Is, uh, is this the end of season two? Is that how we would qualify this? Let's just call this the end of season two and the next one, season three, right? Because um, I don't want to say it's like season five if we divide it. Because <laughs> I just like, it's just like, uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. But um, yeah, just, just hang on the feed. I'm going to pull some small clips from some older episodes, try to throw them in the feed so that you still have some great stuff to listen to. And maybe you've been joining us only since episode 40. Um and didn't hear some of the other guests. So it's a great opportunity to go back on the feed, explore some content. Um, and like I said, we appreciate everybody who listens, uh, whether it's one episode or all 50 something episodes, we greatly appreciate that. Indeed we do. Thanks for listening and stick with us. We've got a lot of great content coming up and a lot of great new guests already in the queue for season three. All right. See you then. (laughs) 